Hello and welcome to the Ex-Military Careers Podcast. This series brings together market-leading experts, veterans and ex-military personnel for empowering discussions, covering topics from diversity to innovation, giving you up-to-date industry insights. EMC is a social enterprise with a mission to support veterans across the UK and the US throughout the entirety of their transition and civilian careers. Their ex-military careers inclusion is the norm, not the exception. So I'm your host, Ellis Greenway, an ex-Royal Marine and I'm client engagement lead here at Ex-Military Careers, which is part of Trenovo Group, and this is episode six. Today, we are joined by Tara Kipper. She's a retired Lieutenant Colonel of the United States Marine Corps, looking at her experience as a woman in the military and how we can do more to recognize and amplify the voices of women veterans. Happy listening. Tara, could you tell us a bit about yourself uh, when you transitioned out of the Marines and what you do now, please? Okay, I am a um, retired lieutenant colonel in the United States Marine Corps, and I currently work for United States European Command in the J-6. So what we'd really like to get into is a bit about your experience, uh, specifically as a woman in the Marines. So if you could tell us a little bit about that. I deployed quite a bit. I spent several different times in Iraq, several different times in Afghanistan, Lebanon, different areas throughout the Middle East, Jordan, Bahrain. So I am considered a Marine Corps subject matter expert in Middle Eastern affairs because of the amount of time I've spent in the Middle East and in combat operations. Um, So as a woman in the Marines and during those periods of time, you know, what were the main differences you found um, or were there any that you observed? Well, initially going into Iraq, it was a bit difficult. Um, As a woman, you know, we didn't have any sort of facilities. So um, just the very basics were somewhat difficult. You know, where where does a woman sleep out amongst the dirt uh, among all of her male counterparts? Or do I need a separate area just for me? You know, how does that work? And we kind of had to figure it out on the fly. You know, just um, simple things like toiletries and, and that I didn't personally feel like it was a problem. I had worked as an enlisted with a lot of males before in that um, it wasn't a combat environment, but it was a deployed environment. And they just treated me like everybody else and it was never a problem. But depending on who I worked with, sometimes it could be a problem. Interesting. And and how quick and how receptive was the need for change in those areas? What I I would say was a need for change is understanding in the United States Marine Corps, initially when I was in, not all combat jobs were available for women, Mm. but certainly um, women were along the side of every combat unit. So um, while I was a communications officer, I did not expect to find myself in combat in in the most basic sense. And um, because our infantry needed communication support, I was right there to provide that support. So I think it was very important for those roles to change and recognize that whether you want us to recognize us in a combat role or not, we are there in a combat role. So fast forwarding a bit then from your time acting uh, or active in the Marines, how would you describe your transition from the Marines into civilian life? It was it was a bit difficult for me. 
I, I do recognize that I have some mental health issues as a result of some of the places that I've been. And there was no continuity of care that was provided for me. And then a lot of the trans transition briefs that we receive are family oriented and I do not have any family. Um, so they didn't really apply to me and there was no briefs that covered uh, single people and what kind of support and resources are available out there for us. So it was a bit challenging initially when I left the Marine Corps. Yeah, and I, I think that the idea of mental health support is something that even in the last few years I've seen has, has grown and been a lot more receptive by the community internally and externally to the forces. But given your difficulties and what you experienced, what support do you think would be most beneficial to transitioning personnel, either specific to you or generally? Well, I, I really do wish there was continuity of care. And it, it doesn't mean just mental health support. Also, it means physical support, whether it be, you know, if you have problems with your knees or your back or whatever that is, people need treatment and it's not appropriate that they should have to wait to receive that, whether it be months or years, um, that treatment. I mean, these are service-related injuries. Serving our country did this to us, so they should definitely um, provide that, that care for us. One thing I will say is that we have the Wounded Warrior Project. You may have heard of it. And they have been very helpful in providing care for veterans of specifically Enduring, Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Inherent uh, Resolve and in those operations. So that was very helpful. They, they constantly reach out to veterans who are wounded warriors specifically. So there is a very specific group of individuals that they they help. What I would say is that they, they really do, they really are very helpful in that regard. But that does not apply to all veterans. And that's really what we really need to do a better job of. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really easy for some people to slip under the radar. And on top of that, it's not proactive from those sources in the sense that it's almost like you have to go and reach out for that help. And I think that one of the biggest turning points is understanding that a lot of people aren't going to do that, whether that's due to personal reasons, a negative stigma surrounding it, or anything else that might be relevant for the individual. Uh, that's why I, th I think should need to be like almost like a paradigm shift for people to understand that you know, this is something that just because someone doesn't say it, that it's there, that often the times there is some form of issue. And there's so many things that people have just learn to accept and deal with as, as though it's part of the baggage that comes with your career rather than something you should be open about and challenge and want to seek help for. Right. And, you know, um, as active duty service members, we're taught to suck it up and exactly. deal with the pain. And um, if, if you don't, then you can't deploy and you can't serve in the capacity that you want to. So it is a catch 22, uh, a double edged sword, if you will. And, um, when we retire and when we leave the service, that's when we start bringing up all the issues that maybe haven't previously been recognized. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, one of the really interesting points you raised actually was even down to you know knee issues. Um, and I don't think I know anyone who I served with who hasn't got a form of knee issue, back issue or hip issue. It just seems to be something that you now have to have um, and something that's part of the world. But again, something that's just laughed off, even though I've, I've got personal friends of mine who uh, were medically discharged for reasons relating to that and are still struggling to receive any form of help to the point where they're kind of physically not able to do the things that they want to do. And yeah, I guess it just shows in what I just did by laughing about it, that that's kind of how we are ingrained in dealing with it rather than just actually trying to fix the issue. You know, specific to the females, I, I think that they're expected to um, kind of suck it up a little more so because they don't want to become that stereotype as well. So I would like to recognize that some of our, our females, we really have to work twice as hard to be recognized as equals. And um, that goes with the pain that we have to suck up. And it goes with um, not seeking treatment when we probably should, because we don't want to be seen as weak and we want to be seen as equals. And, you know, I, I wish that stigma would go away, but it is a reality. And unfortunately, sometimes our, our ladies have to endure more than is appropriate. Yeah, it's really interesting and a, and a good point. And um, with my background in the Royal Marines, I've not served alongside any females doing the exact same roles, but we've obviously had attachments, etc. Just to go into that, have you found that no matter what the injury is, the issue is that you felt pressured effectively to not seek help just because you think people will be too quick to put that down to your gender rather than actually what's going on or understanding whatever the injury etc might be um i personally have yes i have experienced almost almost every command some sort of discrimination because i am a woman so i try not to i try to be better than the stereotype that is out there but it doesn't make it right and i don't have children and i know that you know, for our ladies that do have children, it, it's difficult to be pregnant. I've never been pregnant, but I'm assuming it's very difficult to be pregnant and still have to maintain the same standards as your male counterpart. And, and I know that's not easy, but that is the reality. Yeah, absolutely. And again, something that I've never, I guess, had to witness or and openly and honestly never even thought about just because I've not had the exposure to it. But interestingly, on the point of, you know, experience this through different levels of command, do you think there was one level of command where it had more of an effect or an area where it was more prevalent or anything like that? For myself, when I experienced discrimination, interestingly enough, it was usually the younger commanders that I experienced it with and uh, quite a lot with my peers, but with the older um, commanders, I didn't experience it as much. They were more of mentors rather than than anything else. I would say. I find that really interesting. You know, I think if I if I was forced to pick between where I would find that issue, I would assume that younger people might be more aware to these issues, given the the day and age, and a lot more awareness around diversity and inclusion and equity. That the younger people would 
create a better experience. I'm really interested to hear that that's not the case and it's actually the flip side. Yeah, it kind of surprised me also. I had uh, one CEO that actually he entrusted me with quite a bit of responsibility above all of my peers, my other peers. And I asked him once, how did you learn this type of leadership? Where does this come from? And he told me, well, I grew up with three sisters. That's that's how I got my mindset. And I was like, okay, well, that, that makes sense. But not everybody has had that opportunity. I guess it's something that you would have liked to have heard an answer that doesn't mean that you have to have that in some sort of previous element in your life to to understand the values of, of different genders in the workplace. Do you think that there's anything that should be put in place to address that? Or is it, you know, do we have to take a more holistic approach that is going to come down to more than just like an educational piece, I guess? I'm not really sure. I, I would say it's an education piece. Uh, I had a, a general that I worked for and he had everybody read um, Athena's War is what it was, I believe. Um, and, and basically it's about leadership and leadership and elevating women to the status that they deserve and recognizing your women that work for you and, and not pushing them down. I give him a lot of credit for actually having his staff read books like that um, because he was trying to better his staff holistically. And um, I think it takes a lot of commanders joining together with that sort of approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's something that does, I think holistic is probably the best word to describe that. Um, it's something that needs to really change at the root and at the, the values, doesn't it, to, to have an effect um, in kind of everyday actions. Could you just go into a bit about your experience then um, when you were looking for a new role in your first role while leaving the Marines? Um, when I was transitioning, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I'm proud to be a Marine, but that's not something that I wanted to continue. I did not want to continue wearing the uniform. So I took some time off and then I got bored and I, I looked for some jobs that were low stress and would keep me in uh, the area that I lived and everything. And, you know, my interviews, they would say, oh, thank you for your service. You've done quite a lot. We can see you're very accomplished. And then they would hire somebody else. And actually quite a few times, the job that I was applying for didn't pay a lot of money. It was just something I thought would be interesting or, or fun and keep me busy, keep and keep me productive. And that really is what I was looking for, is something to be productive. But because it paid less, they did not see me as a candidate because I was paid more in the military. And they were like, well, that's a step down for her. And and I guess okay. they, they just didn't want to hire me. So That's really interesting to, to be dismissed from, I guess, an overqualification point of view that they saw in that even if you did articulate that, you know, it was more than the money that was the purpose for the role. Again, just the things that I wouldn't expect to to have happened. Do you think that these companies, when they say that they value experience, do you think that's a buzzword or a buzz phrase that they say because they feel like they should? And do you think that they genuinely believe that or, or show it as a business? I felt like it was just words. Mm. It was... Um 
there was no substance behind the words. It was thank you for your service, but we're not really going to show you that we're thankful. It's just so let me show you the door kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really tough as well. One point that you kind of touched on the saying that you didn't really know what you wanted to do. I think that's probably very common for almost everyone because, you know, I think when you when you're joining, you think that this is going to be me forever and you can't envisage yourself leaving. And when it finally gets to that point, whether you've done minimum or top end of your service, you never expect it to come around as quick as it does. And I think one of the things that we need to achieve is more exposure to leavers about really what they're capable of. So do you think that businesses should be doing more to attract veterans? I do. Now, we do have quite a few programs that will train our veterans. But again, it goes back to you really have to know what you want to do in order to apply for those programs and get trained. And those are, are very specific programs as well. So it goes back to the job that I may want to do is not necessarily the job that I've been trained to do. And the job I may want to do, the person is looking for somebody else and don't ca doesn't care that I'm a veteran. And it, it's really a shame because veterans come to any job with a certain level of skill and a work ethic, and they will bring things to the work environment that nobody else can provide. But if you're a civilian, you do not know that and you would not recognize that until you have a veteran working for you. Yeah, I think you've summarized that so well. One of my things that I really want to achieve, given my role here and with ex-military careers, is the exposure to service leavers to let them know really what you are capable of and the amount of options that are out there. But to um, employers to say, you know, there is so much more depth to a service leaver than what a lot of people realize. And, you know, the core values that someone brings, they don't have to know exactly what they want to do. But if, I think if you can create an environment for a service leaver that's rewarding, where they feel valued, where it's dynamic, they're trusted, you get a level of like a work ethic, like you said, that you can almost give them or task them with learning a skill. But if they have that environment, they're gonna give you they're gonna give you rewards, they're gonna give you results. So that's really what my message and the paradigm shift that I want to achieve. Do you think we're going in the right direction to achieve that? I would like to think so, yes. Mm. <laughs> Do you think there's you know, I, I what, try to stay positive about it, yes. <laughs> well, you know, what do you think we we can do as leavers to let people know? And should it be down to us? Well, I think it's important that for in the U.S., we have Veterans Affairs and we have different organizations. I noticed quite frequently there's seminars and there's networking groups. I noticed quite a few of our politicians running for office have had previous service experience, and they tend to help the veteran community and create jobs in that regard as well. So... There are different avenues that are approached um, towards improving the opportunities for veterans. Mm. I think that is a positive direction. I'm not sure how we can expand on that other than probably in schools, because a lot of times our enlisted go from service over to going to college, 
and then from there start a career. And I think that probably in colleges, it would be beneficial to recruit some of those veterans as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that. I think going back to kind of the, the first point, that we definitely have a lack in the, I guess, the political sense of leavers who are who are there, and there's an underrepresentation of that. But um, it ties back to having veterans at senior positions in the workplace, and you know, when it's so nice to see those members proactively supporting veterans and becoming an employer of choice. And interestingly, I did a poll today on LinkedIn and the response and the engagement for that of what veterans bring to the workplace was so positive, even when trying to dig out, you know, are there there negatives? What are their struggles? But if you had to pick, I guess, one thing that you think veterans bring to the workplace in an abundance, what would you say that is? Oh, goodness, that's difficult. They bring quite a lot. They bring leadership. Hmm. They bring management skills. Um, they bring a work ethic that is unlike the civilian community, a can-do sort of attitude. They, they bring a lot of things that are not quantitative, but are more qualitative. Yeah. To be fair and balance it out, do you think that there are any potential negatives that can get brought with a veteran to a workplace, or are you all, all team positive there? I've thought about this quite a lot among our police force because the structure that individuals have in the military may not be the best for um, community relations in the civilian proper population. And so I I think about that quite often as to how... um, we can bring their skills, marksmanship and um, other things that we learn in the military over to the police force, because many, many of our service members do transition over to the police force, but still bring the empathy and the personableness that police officers need to do community policing. And, and I do think it's a balance and it sometimes is difficult when you have that structure ingrained yeah. In your, your thought process. Yeah, and, and something we um, have found over here as well, and I've got colleagues who've moved into that that line of work as well. I'd like to bring it back uh, to our, again, you know, quite a hot topic of this discussion is um, the gender gap and quite a hard question to answer. Do you think that the gender gap is necessary in the Marines or the wider military in some situations? Um, do I think it's necessary? No, I don't think it's necessary. Is it a reality? Yes. So I think um, last time I checked, I don't know how accurate this is anymore, but women made up about 10% of the Marine Corps, which is fairly steady, was fairly steady for a number of years. But again, I don't know how accurate that is at the this moment. And the Marines have never seemed to have, to me, a problem recruiting um, most people are very proud to be a Marine, even if they decide to leave after four years, they always are very proud to be Marines. Yeah. Um, is it necessary? No, I don't think it's necessary. But for the Marines, the difference between us and the other organizations is we want you to be a Marine first and foremost. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to serve because you want a job. 
we want you to serve because you want to be a Marine. Absolutely. And exactly the same with the Royal Marines um, as the UK counterparts. But interestingly, a very different situation in terms of gender, um, something that's only started to be considered and even, even kind of progressed and allowed in the last couple of years. I know we discussed this briefly um, before, but what's your thoughts on then, I guess, with the difference of where we're at as, as nations and then how females fit into the picture with the US Marines and then with the UK Marines? As I mentioned before in our discussions, uh, the, the Royal Marines train very hard and, and it's very impressive, the training that you guys achieve. For us in the Marine Corps, what I will say is that uh, when we decided to integrate women into combat roles, there was extensive testing that went underway. Yeah, yeah, one definitely one to think about. So looking ahead, Tara, what are your hopes for the future when it comes to increasing visibility for veterans during the transitional period and also shedding a light particularly on women veterans and active service members as well? Moving forward, I, I would like to put together some events for women veterans and make sure that they're recognized and they're appreciated for the contributions and service and just get the word out to give them more visibility so people recognize that women are out there doing great things and serving their country and they are making a difference in the lives of the civilians that they're serving. Uh, absolutely. Um, really well put. I was about to ask for a summary and a final message, Tara. It sounds like that was a pretty nice one, but do you have any kind of um, final thoughts that you'd like to, to add or finish off with as well? Uh, no, but I just wanted to thank you for having me today and it's been a pleasure. Likewise, Tara. The plan moving forward is hopefully we're going to work together and put some um, kind of steps in place where we can achieve this, raise some exposure and some awareness and link back up. After that, in a few months, we'll host another podcast uh, and discuss where we're up to. But Tara, thanks so much for coming on and speaking with us. And we will speak soon as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So thanks again to Tara for joining us for such an insightful podcast episode discussing differing experiences as a woman in the Marines, how we can do more to support transitioning military personnel as well as highlight women veterans and attract women veterans to organisations. EMC is a social enterprise with a mission to support veterans across the UK and the US throughout the entirety of their transition to civilian careers. Their ex-military careers inclusion is the norm, not the exception. If you would like to discuss strategies on how you can build diverse teams or are interested in having a conversation regarding the current job market, please do reach out to us or visit our website www.exmilitarycareers.com. If you stand behind inclusion and representing the society we live in, partner with us today. For now, stay connected and we'll speak to you soon.